The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, 11 a.m. in the Suez Canal, and here's your top five at five. Stuck no more, kind of. That massive container ship in the Suez finally breaking free of the shore just hours ago. Many problems still remain with more than 350 ships waiting to get through. Massive shorts gone wrong. How a relatively little-known hedge fund caused what some are calling a once-in-a-decade margin call that rocked the markets and could bleed through to today. In D.C., President Biden getting ready to lay out his next big policy push, spending up to $3 trillion on infrastructure and health care, higher taxes per company, and the wealthy likely on the way. On Wall Street, stocks coming off another record-breaking session. The Dow trying for its 17th record close of the year. And what do soda, discount retail, and computer networking all have in common? Well, the answer is coming up in today's RBI on this Monday, March 29th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you might be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good Monday morning. Thank you very much for joining us. It is a very busy day. Let's get right to it and to the futures after Friday's wild ride and that developing situation in the Suez. We'll get to that in a moment. Now, Friday was one of the more unusual days in a long time because of what we know now was the forced selling by a once little-known hedge fund called Archegos Capital Management crushing many media and China-based internet stocks in late-day trading. More on that in just a moment. Right now, futures, they are down. Dow futures off 182, NASDAQ off 83. We also need to look at oil amid that ongoing situation in the Suez. We are seeing oil tick down just a bit, but still remain over 60 a share. And speaking of, engineers have partially freed the nearly quarter-mile-long ever-given container ship that has been blocking the Suez Canal since last Tuesday. Tugboats and other support vessels remain on the scene, working to try to straighten the ship's course. Efforts will resume around 5.30 a.m. our time, when the tide is expected to rise to its maximum height. Again, the ship is not free, but it is partially floated. Important to note that experts are saying, even once the ship is back on route, it will take some time to ease the traffic that has been building on both sides of the canal over the past six days. And when tankers do arrive at their destinations, ports will likely face even further congestion from all the ships arriving at once, which will then take even more time to clear. We'll get more on this story and more on oil coming up a bit later on out of the hour. But some good news, the ship partially floated, partially freeze. All right, now to another developing story. 
this one being felt on trading floors and maybe in your investment accounts across the world. Because what happened on Friday could continue to bleed through to today. It all has to do with a relatively little-known hedge fund called Archegos Capital Management. Here's what we know at this hour. Archegos, which is actually a multi-billion dollar family office of trader Bill Wong, had amounted some huge positions in media stocks and Chinese internet names like Baidu, Tencent, Vipshop, and others. Now on Friday, some positions moved against him, likely caused by concern over new SEC rules on Chinese internet companies. And with that came huge margin calls. That forced his fund to dump massive blocks of stock to raise cash. In fact, he may have been forced to sell as much as $20 billion worth of stock. Here's how it broke down according to reports and sources. Morgan Stanley had to trade about $13 billion in Archegos stock in names like Discovery and Baidu, Goldman Sachs, about $6.5 billion in Tencent, Vipshop, and others. And then $3.9 billion in Viacom and other names were also dumped by other firms in fire sale trades. That forced selling led to the biggest one-day drops ever for Viacom and Discovery, each down about 27%. It also hit bigger parts of the market, like the KWEB China Internet ETF. Now, it is not known if this forced selling is over, if all the margin calls have been met, or if Archegos will be forced to shut down. Calls and emails to the firm were not returned. But if more cash has to be raised, we could see more selling. It is a big market story, and it is rightfully getting a lot of attention. In fact, this could up being one of, if not the, biggest single hedge fund margin call of all time, or at least in many years. Now, the ripple impact from Friday already being felt in early trading this morning. According to reports, Nomura's warning late Sunday of a, quote, significant potential loss from an unnamed U.S. client is indeed related to Archegos. Nomura says the estimated amount of the claim against that client, as they call it, was about $2 billion. They hold much of the credit risk on the trade. Those shares are down 16% in Japanese trading. Credit Suisse also says first quarter results could suffer a material impact after the bank started exiting positions after Archegos defaulted on margin calls. Now, to be fair, Nomura and Credit Suisse are not mentioning Archegos by name, but we can confirm Archegos is the firm they are referring to as well. Credit Suisse down 13.5% as well. There is much more to come on this story. Well, let's talk about that and the broader markets in general. Joining us now is Howard Capital Management CEO, Howard Vance. Good morning, Howard. Appreciate you joining us. I'm not going to ask you to dive into the Archigo situation. Certainly, it's kind of a, uh, a narrow pocket of the market with broad implications, kind of like the ever-given container ship in a certain way. Uh, are you taking advantage of any of the, the weakness that it may have caused? Well, first off, good morning, Brian. How are you? <laughs> what a wake-up call! I'm glad I'm sitting here, and I'm glad I'm glad I'm sitting here in Texas today, not worrying about a margin call. <laughs> we're we're in here. Well, our proprietary indicator, the HCM byline, is positive. Any pullback we see is a buying opportunity. So we're 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 we'll pick up any shares that these guys got to liquidate at pennies on the dollar. Yeah, I mean, you know, these are one of these things that kind of come out of left field, and all of a sudden you wonder why we're down a couple of hundred on names, and you think, then you find out that it, that it's one thing. Listen, if it is Archegos, and we know that it is, 
then it's going to be sort of a narrow situation, take a couple days to cycle through. On a macro level, Howard, what are your bigger, uh, long-standing or more long-lasting, I should say, concerns about this market, which slowly but surely continues to hit new highs? Well, yeah, like I said, our HCM byline is positive. So any pullback we see is a buying opportunity. But what concerns us is overtaxation and overregulation. I think that could really hinder the economy and it could hinder this market. So that's what we're watching pretty closely. You know, we, we've seen tech pull back 10 percent. We've seen energy pull back 10 percent, small caps pull back 10 percent. So you're seeing a rotation of corrections, which, you know, in quite candid are healthy because everybody did so well last year other than value stocks, which are now having their day, which is kind of interesting to watch also. Yeah. So in this market environment where you've got this rotation we have seen from growth to so-called value, you've got interest rates that have ticked up pretty rapidly, albeit off record lows, concerns about inflation, hopefully coming out of this doggone pandemic, Howard. What types of investments, what types of opportunities are you and your team seeing right now? Where should we put our money? Well, where you should put your money is the obvious trade. Get, look at Tesla. Tesla's been off the highs of the 800s down to, you know, down to maybe 670 on Tesla. And when you look at look at like Tesla, I mean, if you have to ask yourself, where is it going to be 12 months, 24 months, 36 months out? That's a great trade. But, you know, you, you know, you look at the value stocks. They're looking very, very nice also. But also look at Visa and MasterCard. You can either look at one or the other. You can't put a credit card difference between the two. But, you know, my wife and I, we went out to eat Thursday. I'm, I'm down here in Texas, Brian. And uh, we go to a mid-level uh, Mexican restaurant, and it was packed. It was a 40-minute wait. And so, we, you know, I'm looking around the restaurant, and the obvious trade was everybody there is playing with a Visa, MasterCard, or American Express. Hardly anybody's paying with cash. This is going to be a really nice trade coming out of the pandemic as you start to see things reopen, everything from Carnival Cruise Lines to theaters to restaurants, because Texas is wide open now. New York, California, they're a big economy. They start to open up. I think a big beneficiary of that's going to be credit card companies like Visa, MasterCard, American Express. It's the obvious trade. Yeah, I mean, I like the anecdote as well. By the way, my wife and I tried to go out to dinner on Saturday night. We ended up going out, but it took a while to find a restaurant that could accommodate us. Everything was booked up, but we're still at 35% capacity, not like y'all down in Texas. Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Tesla. Howard Vance, we appreciate your time this nice and early morning, especially in Texas time. We appreciate it, Howard. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you, Brian. All right. You're very welcome. All right, now to some of this morning's other top business stories and headlines. Bertha Coombs joining us with all of that. Good morning, Bertha. Good to see you. Hey, good Monday morning, Brian. We've got new U.S. Uh, Trade Representative Catherine Tai saying the U.S. is not ready to lift China tariffs in the near future. But in an interview, she said Washington might be open to negotiations with Beijing. And a news alert on Visa, the company just announcing that it will let merchants accept cryptocurrencies in the same way they accept dollars now. This refers to stablecoin, USD coin in particular, that are pegged to the U.S. dollar and does not include Bitcoin just yet. And in COVID news, an EU commissioner says the European Union will block exports of AstraZeneca's vaccine if the drug giant doesn't deliver doses the region has bought on time. It's been a tough haul for AstraZeneca, Brian. Yeah, it has certainly a lot of questions around that vaccine as well. But it's, it's look like the stock chart we just showed. It looks like it is trending up just a bit. Bertha Coombs, we'll see you in just a bit. Thank you.
All right, up next, some headway in the Suez, the ever given, partially floated. It is not free yet. We will bring you, though, the very, look at that, look at that backhoe. You go, backhoe. All right, then later on, big news in the fight against the pandemic. Even as cases rise in some states, the facts on a big new milestone on vaccines you have got to hear. And get excited, New Yorkers. United Airlines is about to do something it has not done in years in the New York area. We'll tell you what that is when we return. Dow features off 170. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Well, some good news from the Suez to report right now. The Suez Canal Authority says that the massive container ship ever given blocking the Suez for nearly a week has been partially refloated. The ever given has been straightened up. It has been pulled a bit off the shore and further tugboat operations will resume when the tide rises later on today. The chairman of the Suez Canal Authority says at least 369 vessels are now stuck waiting to get through the canal, including Dozens of container ships, bulk carriers, and oil and gas transports. Let's talk about how may this impact the oil and gas markets with Clay Siegel. He is Managing Director of Oil at Vortexa. They track offshore oil movements and storage, so nobody better to talk to about this situation. Clay, thank you very much. We wouldn't drag you, all of our guests apparently are from Texas. We wouldn't drag you out of bed so early this morning if it wasn't a big deal. The ship partially moved off the shore It's headed in the right direction, but what headaches are still to come even once that ship gets freed? Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for having me. Well, actually, the count is still going up. We're counting, as of this morning, 96 uh, oil and gas tankers that are stuck waiting for traffic to resume. That's actually up five in the overnight hours. So it's a combination, almost 40 crude and uh, fuel oil tankers, another 34 clean product tankers, and then another 23 gas carriers in that mix. So it's the, even though the news is good on a preliminary basis, they are still accumulating this morning. Yeah, and while you know, a viewer that's not familiar may hear that and go, well, it doesn't sound like that much, we're talking about tens of millions of barrels of oil that are not getting to where they needed to go. That means refiners who are having to buy in the spot market. There is a ripple impact. Yeah, for sure. And uh, for every day that this uh, blockage continues, that ripple effect is liable to proliferate around the world and affect oil flows that are not immediately in the area of the Suez Canal. Right now, we think that the immediate effect is really more for refined products 
than it is for crude. So you've got flows of petroleum products like naphtha that are really important for uh, Eastern markets to get for pet chems manufacturing. You've got distillate fuels like diesel that need to flow from East to West. And then you've got some specialized flows like ethane, which is one of the natural gas liquids, comes from the production of shale, oil and gas. Uh, those go to places like India through the Suez Canal. So the, the consequences are slowly but surely starting to proliferate to sellers and buyers around the world. Although I will say this, Clay, and you and I have talked offline the last couple of days and I've spoken to others, I'm sure you have. I'm actually a little surprised that it hasn't moved prices more. And I think that is a reflection of how the oil market has changed. If this has occurred, what, five or ten, maybe ten years ago, eight years ago, the impact would have been much broader. The U.S. oil situation, sort of semi-independent, the shift from west to east, this has dramatically altered the oil markets that has somewhat muted the impact, has it not? Yeah, I think that's right. There's structural reasons and also some tactical reasons, probably why oil prices, crude prices, haven't moved more on the disruption. I mean, on a pure play basis, less than 2% of crude moves through the Suez Canal. If you think about waterborne flows, the biggest flow of crude oil from the Persian Gulf is to Asia. So the canal is not involved. The, the flows of crude oil from the Persian Gulf uh, west and also from America's oil heading to Asia, they don't use the canal. They go the long way around Africa on a good day when there's no blockage. The main flow of crude oil that's really affected by this is Middle East to Europe. Yeah. And European demand is still low because of the pandemic. You've got some supply offsets like Russian Urals that's in the Mediterranean. That's a pretty good substitute for some Middle East that might be running slow. And you have Libya that's back with light, sweet crude oil that can also supply Europe temporarily. Oh, and we got to go, Clay, and say thank you. But by the way, we also have an OPEC Plus meeting on Thursday, which adds a little drama to the always interesting global oil and gas mix. Clay Siegel. Vortexa. Great insight as always, my friend. We'll talk to you again. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. All right, you're welcome. All right, still on deck, the path forward. The CEO of the Philadelphia Art Museum will join us with a firsthand account of coming out of this, how they have managed through two lockdowns and getting you back in and how the museum model has changed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back and good morning. Well, as we move forward out of the pandemic, it is not just big companies that are having to adjust to a so-called new normal. It's also the arts Case in point, the legendary Philadelphia Art Museum shut down twice since last year and having to make some big changes in how it operates. But the arts will go on, and the museum is open and seeing an uptick in visitors. And joining us now is the Philadelphia Art Museum CEO and director, Timothy Rubb. Timothy, it's a pleasure to have you back on. Uh, You are open, albeit at limited capacity, making sure that all the attendees come in and do it safely. As the vaccines have rolled out, Anecdotally, have you seen an an uptick in particularly older guests and visitors that are sort of reemerging and coming back out? We have, and good morning, just recently. um, What we saw early on was a lot of young people coming out, um, restless, ready to get back 
to their lives. And we were able to open the museum first in September and then uh, again after short closure over the holidays in January. And we see the gradual rise in attendance during that period of time. And it's and it's probably been a, a wonderful thing to see. I know you are still operating at limited capacity, but how is how is demand? I mean, pretty much every day are you are you welcoming in as many people as you are allowed to do right now, Timothy? Oh, well, we changed our days as well, Brian. Um, we realized that most people could come out um, on and around the weekends. So we, we limited our days to Friday through Monday. That change has been successful. It's a short-term change, obviously. But we, we altered our hours to meet the demands of the public and when they could come to, to see us. And we've seen great attendance over the weekends. Obviously, at this point, our capacity is still limited. Um, by order of the, the mayor and the governor, uh, and we're following those guidelines. But so far, so good. And as I said before, um, the numbers are increasing. You're not going to like this, Timothy, I know, because you're a member of the arts, but it's true. You are actually a business. You have expenses. You have many employees. I mean, you, you're the arts, but you also have a balance sheet. How, how are the financials? How has the pandemic rocked and made you reevaluate how you operate. Well, no surprise, it, it has been one of the most challenging years in the history of the museum when it comes to our finances. Um, your, your listeners read, need to understand that, that our budget um, is composed of many different revenue streams. One third of it comes through earned income, people coming on site, buying admissions tickets, becoming members, uh, shopping in our store and so on. And when the pandemic began, um, all those revenue streams went to zero. So we've had to, to cut our budget back. We've had to, to mind our expenses very carefully. Uh, we've had to go into basically um, hibernation for a, a while until we could get back to business. And we're not going to be there for a while. So it's been it's been a huge challenge for us, but one we're, we're working together to overcome. Yeah. Well, that's great to hear because you, you do such a fantastic job. One of the world's leading museums of any kind. Before we let you go, Timothy, I got to ask you, uh, are you buying non-fungible tokens, digital art? What's your take on this, uh, this latest trend or craze, or maybe it's the future? I, I don't want to call it a craze because that implies it's going to end. What's your take on what we are seeing in the art world right now? Well, you're seeing vast changes. We don't have... Uh, any NFTs yet. We, we're, we don't have a cryptocurrency account, so I can't say we're in that business. But but I will say that, that we follow, um, obviously, the artists, what they do and what they make. And so we've been collecting uh, digital video for, for many, many years now. When we present exhibitions, uh, increasingly, uh, we're working in the digital realm with projections and, and the like. Um, uh, and and it, it's inevitable. Um, if As new technologies emerge, just as printmaking did in the 15th century or photography did in the 19th century. Um, we will look at those. We will see what artists are doing with them. And then we will follow their lead. And if, we, if we're going to collect them, we will eventually. Um, it's, it's the way of the future. Yeah, and there's been some big dollars and some big numbers certainly around it. Look forward to getting back to the Philadelphia Art Museum, maybe seeing some works of people up there digitally somehow on the wall. Timothy Rubb, we appreciate your time this morning. Best of luck to you. Look forward to seeing you down in Philadelphia very soon, Timothy. Take care. Thanks, Brian. You take care. All right. Thank you very much. And the arts, of course, will go on. And so will we, by the way, coming up.
margin calls, media giants, and major banks. The market story that rocked the world futures, they're down 162 right now in the Dow. We're going to have the very latest. And a reminder, a, j- a soft nudge. If you have not, subscribe to our podcast. If you miss us any day, don't worry. Check out the podcast. Listen to it in your car, on a plane, wherever you may be going. We're back right after this. A once-in-a-decade margin call, now the center of some big selling that sent many stocks tumbling on Friday, the very latest on the hedge fund story, Captivating Wall Street. Free and floating, sort of. While the ever-given may finally start to get on its way home as nearly 400 ships sit in wait and global supply chains groan. All this is Futures Falls, the impact for that hedge fund and concern about rates. They get the week off to a week start. It is Monday, March 29th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back and good Monday morning, everybody. I am Brian Solomon. Thank you very much for joining us here on CNBC. All right, let's get right now to the futures after Friday's wild ride and that developing story in the Suez. Now, Friday, one of the more unusual days the market's in a long time. And now we know it's because of forced selling by the hedge fund and family office, Archegos Capital Management, that crushed many media names like Discovery and Viacom, as well as China-based ETFs and internet companies like Baidu, Tencent, and Vipshop after that fund got caught on the wrong side of some massive bets that got likely called out by some proposed SEC rule changes on China-based companies. Are you following all that? Well, don't worry if you're not. It's early. But here's what you need to know. At the center of that fire sale were two huge companies here, Discovery Networks and Viacom CBS. Now, as we've told you, they were huge winners since the start of the year. Well, on Friday, they saw some of their worst single-day sessions ever because they were dumped en masse by Archegos and its proprietary trading desk partners like Goldman, Morgan Stanley, and others. Good news for those shareholders, as you can see right now, both stocks have seemed to stabilize a bit. In fact, Discovery up 2%, Viacom, CBS down about 1%. Both of those names fell 27% on Friday. We'll get much more on Archegos, margin call, and the ripple effect coming up with Leslie Picker in just a couple of minutes. Well, on the heels of that, we are seeing macro futures down, probably not because of that only, but certainly plays into that when you have upwards of 20 billion being shopped around by Goldman, Morgan and others for selling on Friday. That's going to impact the macro markets. You've also obviously got rate concerns as well. Plus, we've been hitting new highs a lot. Markets are going to tick down naturally. Dow futures off 170 right now. We'll get you more in the markets and your money in just a bit. But now let's Pivot to a story that no doubt matters a lot more. And that is your daily update on the vaccine rollout and the facts on where we stand right now. And here's some very good news. It was a huge weekend on the vaccination front. In fact, it was our biggest weekend yet as a nation. In all, more than six and a half million doses were giving out on Saturday and Sunday. And with that boom, 
almost half of all American adults over the age of 65 are fully vaccinated with both shots. Wow. And that is not all. 36% of Americans over the age of 18 have had at least one shot as well. It is likely why even as cases have ticked up in some states and get all the headlines, the number of people hospitalized in America is still down over the last two weeks and down 70% from the highs of January. Remember, cases get the attention, but hospitalizations and outcomes matter a lot more. Let's continue this conversation about this, as well as still lingering concerns about vaccination and some of the evolved strains of the virus. And welcome back in our friend, Dr. Sharif El-Nahal, president and CEO of University Hospital in Newark, New Jersey, which has fully vaccinated over 11,000 individuals in just 100 days. Doctor, great to have you back on. We are very pleased to hear those stats. Please help us clear up some things. And I'm not going to knock my industry, the media, but cases get all the attention. Cases are on the They're surging in Michigan and parts of New Jersey. But I want to ask you, have you had anybody, any patient, even one, who after full vaccination has been re-hospitalized for COVID? We have not, and that's a very important thing to emphasize. These vaccines are very effective. They are 100% effective at preventing hospitalization and death, which is good news. But I do want to say that we were on a call with the state just on Friday communicating two concerns. Number one, in New Jersey, we are starting to see an increase in hospitalizations. In fact, we've had a significant 20 to 30% increase just over the last week or so in my hospital in the New York metro area. The second is that we're actually seeing a younger demographic being admitted, which could make sense from the standpoint of those folks not being vaccinated uh, nearly as much as older folks. But the concern is that we were not seeing these levels of 50 to 59-year-olds, 40 to 49-year-olds. Uh, admitted as we are now. And that raises the specter of more severe variants. So there are still some things to be concerned about. Yeah, many people have welcomed, you know, college students have come back in many cases in person. And we're also seeing, I think, and you would agree with this, doctor, it's not a political statement, kind of a kind of a burnout. You know, there's a slight reopening and people are just, it's been a year and they're, they're getting back out there. And so we are seeing a bit of a spread. But answer us this. Do you believe, as the data seems to indicate, that the vaccines are, if not as effective, almost as effective against not only the new strains we're seeing, but arguably new strains to come, because that's what all viruses throughout history have done. They've evolved. Well, all indicators so far is that the vaccines are largely effective against the known variants. Uh, We do have a lower effectiveness noted in some studies, but all this does is really cause us to accelerate vaccination because it's really a race against the rise of these new variants and the spread of more cases. So you're right to say that all this does is really make us accelerate as much as we can with vaccination. And as you mentioned, we did so this weekend and we will continue to do so. And how do we still counter vaccine hesitancy? We are seeing this in parts of rural America. We're also seeing it parts of of your base of people, doctor, which is you know, more urban. Um, Obviously, we understand the African-American community, probably rightfully so, given history, has maybe more of a reluctance in some cases. Uh, How do we counter this vaccine hesitancy? And are you are you seeing any any give 
in that. People who may have been on the fence are saying, you know, I wasn't sure, but you know what? All right, go ahead and give me the shot, doctor. You're right to call that out. And so we only have about 5% of people in the city of Newark fully vaccinated. Compare that to 15 to 20% nationally for the general population. And of course, we serve a majority minority community here. So you're right to call out uh, hesitancy disproportionately in communities of color and urban communities. The one piece of good news, though, is that the Kaiser Family Foundation did a study and showed that there were relatively low rates of absolute hesitancy. In other words, I will never take this vaccine uh, coming from communities of color. It's more about, oh, I just want to wait and see. I want to see how my yeah. family <laughs> colleagues do with it, which means there's a lot of opportunity. I think that's it, doctor. I, and, and by the way, I'm sure you and I, we know people like this. It's, you know what, you go first. Let me see how you do. Oh, you're not growing a third arm. Okay, you're, you're not sitting in bed with fever. Once they say, see their friends and family take the shot, be fine, it's opening it up, is it not? Absolutely. And it's all about also just approaching the community humbly with information and facts. And we have seen people turn in a significant way here all right, Dr. Sharif Elnahal and your team there doing great work, getting everybody safe and healthy, doctor, and we do appreciate it. Thank you, as always, for your insight. We'll catch up again soon. Take care. Thank you so much. All right, you're very welcome. All right, coming up, here's a little riddle for you. What do soda, discount retail, and computer networking all have in common? Probably nothing except that you're morning RBI, and we'll tell you why. The answer is ahead. But as we head to break, some of your other top stories to kick off this week. The Supreme Court set to hear arguments from Goldman Sachs in a long-running case could have major implications for shareholders singing, seeking to bring securities fraud-related lawsuits. Arguments in the SCOTUS scheduled to begin at 10 a.m. Eastern time today. Billy Billy shares fell nearly 7% on their first day of trading in Hong Kong. Chinese technology stocks continue to face pressure. A number of U.S. listed China companies have done secondary listings in Hong Kong recently, including Alibaba and Baidu. Tension between Washington and Beijing and the financial markets ramp up. And United Airlines doing something yesterday it has not done in more than five years. It flew into New York's JFK Airport. First time it's happened many years as United takes advantage of that slowdown in air travel to try to snag some gate space at the once congested airport. So good news, New Yorkers. If you fly United, you don't have to schlep to Newark. You can probably now go to JFK if you're going to San Francisco or a couple of other places. But either way, good news. Flyers, as we all look to get back out. Dow futures down 160. We're back right after. It is time now for your Monday RBI. What is random but interesting right now, at, at least to us? Hey, we're, we're market geeks. All right. And earlier, we asked you a very simple riddle. What do sodas, discount retail, and computer networking all have in common? Well, on the surface, absolutely zero. But the answer is actually they're all leading a big part of the market lately. Case in point, those companies do that are the three top performing stocks in the NASDAQ 100 this month. Check it out. For the month of March, the three best performing stocks are not high flying tech names like Tesla and whatever. Number three is Keurig Dr. Pepper up 15 and percent. 
The second best performer is Dollar Tree. I'm told money doesn't grow on trees. Apparently there it does. And the single best performing stock in the NASDAQ 100 this month is Cisco Systems, right? Remember them? We don't talk about them very much. By the way, they were once the biggest company in the world by market cap. And Cisco shares have been on fire, up 17% in March. You go, Cisco. Cisco does get shockingly little attention these days, but everyone from the markets apparently do care. But, there's always a but, before you go out and just buy up Cisco because this RBI take note, the run may be done, at least according to analysts, because here's, I guess, what's really random but interesting in the stock. It's almost exactly on the average price target of analysts. In fact, the 24 analysts who cover Cisco have an average price target of 52.55. Shares ended Friday at 52.57, two cents off that average. They're down just a bit right now. If that's not random but interesting, I don't know what is. At least we think it is. But soda, networking IT, and discount retailer, all random but profitable, at least this month. Well, now to your top story and that massive margin call that hit little-known hedge fund Archegos Capital Management on Friday. It is not just the markets either getting hit. Japanese bank Nomura, as well as Credit Suisse, are warning investors of potential losses from that trade. Look at that. In Japan, Nomura down 16.5%. Credit Suisse in Europe down 14%. Huge moves for some of the world's biggest banks. Those two firms had sizable exposure to the Archegos trades, particularly Nomura. Leslie Picker joining us now with more on what we know and what we don't. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning, Brian. The story just keeps getting bigger. Nomura saying this morning it's facing potentially $2 billion in losses. Credit Suisse said a default on margin calls could be, quote, highly significant and material. Now, CNBC reported this weekend that Archegos Capital Management, that's a family office managed by Bill Huang, faced a forced liquidation on several over-levered positions. Huang previously managed Tiger Asia, which was spun off from Julian Robertson's Tiger Management. However, in 2021, he pled guilty to wire fraud in connection with insider trading. Now, Archegos did not respond to our request seeking comment. The forced selling, though, hit shares of Viacom, CBS and Discovery on Friday after a big run up in those names recently. Several China-based companies such as GSX, Baidu, Tencent Music and Vipshop plummeted as well. Now, one source described the size and scale of the forced sales as a once-in-a-decade event, Brian. The Wall Street Journal reported that Archegos runs a concentrated, highly levered book and holds some positions through swaps. So the anonymous nature of these types of derivatives is causing other investors that I was speaking to over the weekend to try and assess additional exposure Huang might have had and brace for potential volatility in those names and others today. As for what triggered this whole thing, well, it's not exactly clear, but many industry watchers believe that it was news that the SEC uh, is looking to step up reviews of audits of overseas companies with the risk of being kicked off U.S. exchanges for any noncompliance. So that affected a lot of those Chinese ADRs. Additionally, Viacom CBS raised a $3 billion secondary last week was met with lukewarm reception from investors. Now, the sharp declines from Friday have dented returns in another tiger club called Tang Yu. We reported this weekend that firm did not respond to our request seeking comment, Brian. 
All right, so much to unpack here. And, and, and you mentioned the S word, <laughs> swaps. And I think this is important for especially market newbies, okay? When you look at markets, it's not just these firms buying single equities, holding them, selling them, or even shorting them. They are using these stocks as credit positions on swaps to create other either synthetic or derivative positions. That's part of the problem here is that Nomura and others have credit risk on their books related Mm -hmm. to some of these bigger positions which have been created. And by the way, talk to us more about Goldman Sachs as well, Leslie. They stopped doing business with Bill Wong a few years ago because of that SEC censure. They changed their mind. Right. So they changed their mind and they were the ones who were behind a lot of the block sales from Friday. Uh, We still don't know in kind of putting into the bucket of things we don't know. We don't actually know what the exposure to Goldman looks like as a result of those block sales. We do know that they were offered at very, very steep discounts that had, you know, chat rooms across Wall Street all all talking about how this is insane. I I received some of the, the messages that people were sending to each other about how just you know, remarkable it was to be receiving these blocks of shares at such tremendous discounts, uh, especially when things were very confusing. So we don't know the exposure for Goldman. We also know that Morgan Stanley was behind some of the sales uh, on Friday as well. And Deutsche Bank had some exposure here as well. So I think one thing to be looking for today is just, you know, any commentary out of those banks, uh, any potential risk exposure that they might have had as well, especially as we've seen these comments from Nomura and Credit Suisse earlier this morning. Yeah, I mean, you got Nomura and Credit Suisse. They're, they're down 16 and 14%. I mean, these are some of the biggest banks and trading firms in the world that are getting rocked by this. It just goes to show there are things under the hood of the market you don't always know exist. And when they pop up, it can do that. Leslie Picker on a big story. No doubt, Leslie, we will get to see you. What time is it now? 5.40 a.m.? 5.50, yeah. <laughs> When's your last hit? Tuck and swap on the ship at show tonight, seven thirty. You know, we'll, we'll see. So we'll see. Leslie Picker, tune in <laughs> all day long on CNBC. Leslie, thank you. See you in a bit. Thanks, all right, Brian. on deck. Good news from the Suez, sort of. The Ever Given has been pushed partially off the shore. The problem still remains, but they're headed in the right direction. A live report from the ground next. All right, welcome back. Let's get now to Washington, D.C., because President Biden is getting set to lay out the next phase of his agenda. At an event Wednesday, he's expected to roll out a vast infrastructure spending plan, shortly followed thereafter by what the president calls reforms for social infrastructure. Think health care and child care. And your next guest says the odds of accomplishing the goals are growing by the day. Tina Fordham is a partner and head of global political strategy at Avonhurst and a former city chief global political analyst. Tina It's good to see you. Good morning. What do we know? We've heard this $3 trillion number, infrastructure, social capital and infrastructure, maybe two plans, not one. What do we know? Well, we're going to hear about it on Wednesday at the announcement, but we know that this is big. We know that Joe Biden um, has kind of, you know, come into office like a lamb, as they say, and and coming out with some pretty massive uh, policy proposals like a lion, to use the, the springtime analogy. But he's got 
massive public support, especially for a Democratic president, and especially at such difficult times. It's kind of now or never. And, okay, we we hear that, you know, there, there may be some centrist Democrats that may push back on certain things. Let's not forget, some of this is supposed to be paid for higher taxes on those making over 200000 if you're an individual, 400000 as a family. I'm told, Tina, that many of the people that make that kind of money live in blue states. You wonder, is there Democratic support for that, especially if we don't get a rollback of the, the cap on the deduction for state and local tax, which was also kind of a, a punch in the gut to many people in those blue states? Well, Americans are never supportive of tax increases, right? We we want you know what? Europeans public services uh, <laughs> on other people. Tax increases on other people are fine. Tax increases on ourselves are never fine, right? And that's where the definition matters here a lot. What I mean to say about public support is more about um, for his presidency and in the wake of the big fiscal stimulus package. Uh, the number that he's look the numbers in his approval ratings that he's got right now are are pretty impressive at a, at a time when there's really no such thing as political honeymoon. So what I mean to say is, he has a window to do something big, um, to push forward on his build back better agenda and to to really rectify what is chronic underinvestment both in infrastructure and in the the social safety net in the United States going back decades. And so what do you think this might, after all the wheeling and dealing is done, let's assume this gets passed in, well, first off, do you think it will get passed, Tina? And assuming it does get passed in some form, what do you think it will really look like and where might the money go? I mean, we are a financial news network. We'll go to, you know, concrete companies, bridge builders. What are we looking at? Those details are are not available yet, so we can only speculate, but we know that the the U.S. has suffered from, you know, poor infrastructure for for many decades. Um, uh, Shovel-ready projects, infrastructure week, we've had the last, you know, two U.S. presidents talking about infrastructure. Um, The fact that this is going to be a combination of uh, social safety net and infrastructure probably helps it. You heard Jim Psaki talking about splitting it into two separate bills. But I think the point is that they can do this without Republican support if they need to. Um, But uh, when you look at the support for the the first uh, fiscal stimulus package, it is bipartisan amongst the public. Tina Fordham of Avonhurst. Tina, we appreciate your insight this morning on a package, a big spending plan that's going to be rolled out, I think, in Pittsburgh later on this week. Tina, great to have you on. Have a terrific day. Thank you very much. Oh, by the way, we showed you Credit Suisse stock down 14% on that Archegos news. Well, Credit Suisse now getting hit with a downgrade by Bank of America after Credit Suisse warned first quarter results could suffer a material impact after they had to exit those positions. Also probably got caught up in some swap positions on that Archegos margin calls as well. Bank of America also referencing more in that downgrade including other issues at the lender, which the analyst says add up to make him think that the capital cushion has likely been reduced to the point where its buyback is directly impacted. That's that. Squawk will pick up the coverage. Dow features down 140. We'll see you tomorrow. Take care. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.